Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the long talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul. I'll be your host this evening. And joining me, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming in Junior Fatuilofa, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Now, you've travelled halfway around the world with rugby, but um, what was your first rugby memory? How did you get into rugby in the first place? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I think I vividly remember my uh, my dad taking me down to the local rugby club. I think I was four years old uh, and just threw me into a game of rugby, which I didn't have a clue what was going on, didn't understand the rules or you know, any of the kind of technical, tactical, and it just felt like I was just running around chasing shadows all day. I remember being in bare feet, didn't enjoy that. Um, I remember it being cold. And I think the, probably the last sort of long memory I had was sort of coming off the field with a really sore neck, like painful, like felt like it was, you know, something seriously wrong. But I think my dad was telling me that you need to tackle your shoulders and arms instead of your head, so... I think I think that's what I remember the most. I think I remember that Saturday evening going, man, I can't go to sleep. My neck's so sore. Oh, and then a, I think con- you soon learn that you don't use your head to tackle. Contact <laughs> you had, rugby uh, under five. at the age of five. That's yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was full-on contact. And um, it's probably shocking for people now, but back then that was just the norm, you know. Wow. I think you just kind of learn the hard way. And not kind of like build yourself up through like ripper rugby or tag rugby we have over here in the UK. It's almost like you just jump in and sink or swim, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of attitude back then. So, and yeah. and where was that? That was, and yeah. uh, so I played for Paramount Plimerton, so that was in um, in Wellington, down so on, on the outskirts of Wellington, yeah, near Potidor, so around that area. So I was brought up around that area. So, yep. So that was my local club where I lived. So. Really enjoyed it. Um, no, yeah, just good memories of being a young kid running around and sort of, you know, typical New Zealand, bare feet, but then trying to earn your can of Coke and pack of the chips afterwards. So, And then watching the older age groups play, yeah. So Paramount Plimerton, where it all started for me. So, Wow, and then uh, I, I saw an article from you that interviewed you on the, um, I think it was on the Rugby Pass or whatever, uh, and you were, um, you also have that, uh, those early memories that I think a lot of uh, Kiwis have of getting up in the middle of the night and watching test matches um, with your with, with your folks as well. Yeah, that was cool. That was kind of something you really enjoyed. Um, sort of getting up at two or three in the morning to watch those kind of those tour matches. And I, I especially remember probably the '91 World Cup when it uh, was held in England and Wales, and. Um, and I think that's the first World Cup Samoa went to. And I, I remember we were kind of the only kind of Samoan family that had Sky TV at the time. So as you can imagine, it was a bit of a sellout crowd at our house. We had to fit like 30 or 40 Samoans into a little three-bedroom house. But, you know, it kind of created the atmosphere at the time. And now I have good memories of that because they did quite well. And, you know, you haven't seen so much pride and joy and sort of like kind of made – 
you know, the local Samoan community so happy just because they were doing so well and sort of put the country on the map in terms of the rugby side of things. So I remember that. And you were vividly. saying you, you, had, you had rallies in the team as well? Yeah, yeah. so I had an uncle oh, yeah. there um, and he kept in the team. Um, you know, so it always takes, you know, special pride in the family, you know, the family name. So, no, it was really good. I mean, I just remember, you know, the result <laughs> sort of, just felt like in New Zealand if the result went well then the mood of the week just goes well for everyone everyone's happy and joyful and you know you go go along with your working week you know in the good good spirits so, so you, you know, it was exactly what it was like during that time you didn't really have much choice in India really as long as you're members of the family playing international rugby your dad taking you down and going right you can walk you can play rugby here run into somebody this was the this is you, you, you had to play rugby um then you, you went through, uh, played, what, first 15 down in Wellington? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was fortunate enough to get into Wellington College. So that's kind of a really prestigious because of a rugby school or school So um, in Wellington. Um, so I spent third, four, you know, from 94 to 98 there. Had enjoyable years. Um, didn't enjoy the travel, though, because school for me, getting to school for me was catching a bus, train and a bus, and it kind of, and, all, and, and it took an hour, I think. So I remember just, you know, felt like I was just dragging myself around all day, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to the bus station and then trying to catch the right train and then catch another bus to get to school. So that was kind of my routine for four years. And, you know, I really enjoyed it, Wellington College, yeah. So that's when I kind of sort of felt like that's when rugby became a little bit serious. You know, um, some of the first 15 matches were kind of, Fiercely contested with other traditional schools there around at the time, and so kind of created that atmosphere at the time as well. Was that the kind of time you thought, okay, I'm going to try and make a career out of this? This is my uh, rugby is the thing for me. Yeah, I think so. I think in my head at a really young age, I thought rugby is always going to be the thing for me. I guess, um, you know, just being part of it, part of the family kind of makeup. My older brother played. Just seemed like everyone in the whole family. Would, playing rugby or represent playing representative rugby somewhere so it was kind of like something you aspire to as a young guy looking up to like older cousins or older family members that have done well so and and not trying to pretend yeah rugby was probably everything and, and I think you know I've probably learned a little bit later in life there's probably more than rugby than uh, <laughs> there's more than life rugby but, yeah exactly <laughs> So, but at that age, I think you just got that narrow focus. Like you see that, you know, see people on TV, and you just want to follow in those footsteps, really. Yep. Any any other famous guys in your in your first fifteen team that you played with at school that uh, that made it? Um, I think Wellington College were a bit different back then. I think we were probably more renowned for good teams. You know, we played well as a team, but there were a lot of other teams around that had better individuals than us. And but we were lucky we had. And we didn't really have big names, but we kind of created a team culture and team atmosphere where we all kind of played really well as a team. But when we kind of probably didn't get much recognition sort of as individuals, and we probably had different kind of people that had other interests in rugby when they left school. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really one particular name. Probably when I left school, there was a few more people came along. I think Naimi Atealada was an all-black there and Lima Sopoanga, all those kind of guys. But... I think during my reign, or during when I was there, we were kind of like the sort of just a really good tight knit team. But we played against teams that were had like Jerry Collins and the Scott Waldrums mm-hmm. and 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 all that. So yep. yeah, we did play other teams that probably had much better individual players than us. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, you learnt, you learnt the team ethic early on. The and then you and then graduated into into Wellington and NPC. Um, was was there a particular coach at any point that said, "Hey, you've got what it takes," and and, and helps you kind of on your way? Oh, there's a few. I think. I mean, the first fifteen coaches are always kind of good at giving you a bit of a you know good grounding at what to expect in rugby. Um, I think I was lucky when I left school. I think they it was like the first Wellington Rugby Academy was created, so they 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 started sort of recruiting players around the you know the country and trying to put them into a, like a sort of academy where we either had choices doing study trade or various other bits of things apart from rugby but the main emphasis was to 
kind of train like professionals or learn to be a professional. So it was kind of a, I think it's the first intake. You must have had like, man, we had so many All Blacks. And it was kind of, you know, and I think it continued on for three or four years later. But, yeah, it was pretty successful. But, you know, being part of the academy was really good. Um, but I think coaches that probably stand out when I first left school was probably like Dave Rennie. I think he he came along when I was 18, 19. And I think he just sticks in my mind as a coach. Probably he was finding his way through coaching as well. And, you know, you could tell he was going to be really successful because, you know, obviously the coaches that you enjoyed working under probably the ones who probably you wished would be successful <laughs> in the as well. So, well, like, yeah. I remember Dave Rennie really well. He just kind of he made things really enjoyable and you know yeah, and, say, yeah, and the, fun. The ones you tend to the ones you tend to enjoy it with tend to get the most out of you. I find. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's generally yeah. It's, 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 it's quite often how that kind of works. So one of the things I've come I've, I've found out when talking to various um, people in the academies here is that if you're in an academy, you have to have that PD or professional development going on. So what was your yeah. PD? What, what, what were you? What were you trying to be? Because I mean, I've heard stories of people of, 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 of kind of being hairdressers or all sorts of different things. So what, what was your what was your PD when you were in the? Yeah, it's a good question because I kind of it's probably the question I ask myself now. What was I actually doing? Because um, because you're not doing it now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because uh, you know, the goal was to go to university, mm-hmm. um, and I did uh, sort of a BCA, like a current commerce and administration. But I was trying to it in marketing and management so I did that for two years and then kind of missed the third year because obviously I had the opportunity to come over to the UK so I was kind of torn whether to go back and finish uni for one more year or kind of take the opportunity which came probably at an age where I thought Jesus could you know especially at that time when you're a poor student kind of staying at home and and kind of living off <laughs> the student allowance every week doesn't doesn't take your life so far. But yeah, that's kind of how it kind of worked out. But my PD at the time was trying to just probably just get something under my belt, really, just to oh, as a safety, you know. So yeah, so, yeah. Well, it basically, sounds like you've been what two years into a course and you dropped out. Now, yeah. now one of your roles is, as you say, is, is a is is a player relationship manager and talking to players about doing personal development and yeah. You have to say, "Hey, do as I say, not as I do." Don't drop out, guys, like I did. And move. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always a hard sell. Um, you know, I guess I'm not the perfect example, but I guess I learned about professional development as I became more of a professional rugby player as well. I think I understood that, and especially going to a team that were um, like Exeter, they were part time at the time, so I had to fill in my day. And you know, I felt like you know, I can't just train in the morning and do nothing during the day and then train in the evening I had to kind of fill that space and that probably when I look back at now that probably helped me long term in terms of when I did finish rugby because I was quite proactive in doing other things like we had teachers we had financial advisors in our team we had guys from all sorts of work backgrounds so I just said man I've got nothing to do can I just jump in and do a day's work or do a day's labouring or do a day's you know doing something because I knew I was just going to you know, my time in England wouldn't have probably lasted as long as it has if I didn't do anything in between. So yeah, I think just luckily I fell fell into that kind of place, and then so, the second year we came kind of fully pro. So so were you, were you the of, first? Were you the first professional player at Exeter? No, I think we were five of us initially. There's five. I think they started off with five, and then the second year they went to fifteen, and then the third year they became fully pro, and then. You know, and so on, and that's how they kind of built it up. I think they're trying to. I think we were just sort of the guinea pigs and testing it out, and then obviously when we left the county ground and then moved to the new ground at Sandy Park, that's when they. Oh, you played the county ground. Wow. Okay. The old, the old, the old yeah. Speedway. Speed, yeah, Speedway. Yeah. So I thought I was going to say dog track, but no, it's not. You're right. Yeah, Speedway. That's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I've kind of lost track of what I was talking about now. Sorry, um, sorry. Um, yeah, personal development uh, and, and the growth of extra chiefs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so talking back about personal development. Yeah, so my role over here is to kind of help Pacific Island players, especially that are based over here, with personal development and trying to prepare them for life after rugby and transition. So you know, trying to give them as many opportunities and skills and and all kind of works of life just to kind of give them a confidence and kind of 
start building a career after rugby. So that's probably my the kind of broad spectrum of my role at the moment here over in the UK. And is look, look, looking at your, your, your rugby CV, you you were at Exeter for three years. You went across to Bristol for um, for four years for, uh, or four and a bit years, uh, and then also Cornish Pirates for a um, uh, for for a couple of years as well. So you, you've three three sides at the time were in the rugby championship um, there. Now, I've heard stories when the the PFA um, get interviewed because they deal with mainly the the Premiership players. They say that yeah. that the um, that the championship can be can be a bit of a wild west uh, with some players that's just on week to week contracts um, or pay or or, or 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 only get paid if they play that kind of stuff. Has that uh, was that the kind of experience you got in the rugby championship, or was it much or was it a bit more structured oh, no, than that? No, no, no. Actually, I was quite fortunate at the time that the rugby championship was a really strong league. Um, especially uh, the first four years I was there, it was kind of a, a really competitive league. And I think most teams in that league were all full-time professional. You know, I think I think at the time they're still trying to find their feet. You know, whether you know is this going to work or not, or you know, because because teams were owned by like business owners or you know you know it was tough so but we we're lucky Exeter was a really well run club and you can see that now how they're performing so you know I haven't had any experience of that kind of but I, I've understood as I was retiring when my last kind of year or two at Cornish Pirates it was becoming one of those kind of wild wild west kind of leagues where like, uh, at the time guys were on contracts saying they're professional rugby players, but they were getting paid less than minimum wage, you know. So it was almost like they enjoyed the the title of being a professional rugby player, but they weren't getting paid as professional <laughs> rugby players, you know. And it was kind of sad to see because our young guys, probably just straight out of university, probably getting sold a dream that, oh, you're going to be a full-time pro, but they're on X amount, which probably they'll be struggling to pay their rent or, you know, pay, pay the expenses each month. So you kind of saw it developing as I was sort of leaving the game which you know which is really sad to see because at the time it was a really strong league there's some really good teams and you get to play you know some ex-internationals in that league when I first started and some guys that were probably at the start of their journey that became premiership players so yeah so that's probably yeah it's just a shame because I think uh, club rugby over here needs two strong divisions in premiership and championship just to make it more sustainable. But, you know, with the current situation, you, you see even premiership clubs will start falling by the wayside soon if, if it doesn't get sorted straight away. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's, only, there's only one team in, in the premiership that does get make a profit every year. All the others make a loss. Um, <laughs> exactly. They, they occasionally turn a profit, but it's, it's, it's the odd year here and there. It's not a, a continuous thing. I mean, I think Saints, Gloucester, and Leicester Tigers have all t- turned a profit at some point in the last decade, but not on a regular basis, which is the yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. They're the, just lucky they got sort of, you know, people that write off those debts each year because you know they run at a loss every year, and you know I think the business model is not sustainable here at the moment. And that's because you know players' wages have just gone through the roof, um, and you know I think it's just. It's just gone, you know, the salary cap's pretty high, you know, and but they're just trying to compete with France and Japan and all the other leagues. So I can see the way they did it, but, you know, you can see clubs like, especially now, they're starting to put players, you know, 25% pay cuts. Well, this uncertainty at the moment with everything, especially with rugby. So the, I, I, do, I mean, quite a few rugby people have talked about resets. Can you see, so you can see some sort of reset coming coming along after this? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully we kind of just go back to the drawing board and sort of start back at ninety ninety five again and see how we can do it properly <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how everyone can benefit from, um, you know, from the rugby season. You know, I think everyone talks about a global season. I'm not too privy to anything like yeah. that, but you know, I think you know if, if it, the game wants to go global and show it's a true rugby values and they have to do something and I guess you know with what's happening at the moment they're trying to vote for who is it for the world rugby uh, the chair. know, chairman yeah so that could be a massive decision on where rugby's going in the future so we'll see what happens I guess 
but you know something has to change do you keep, all do you try do you try and keep the, uh, the the players aware of the 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 politics side of or not or the in in none of the negative sense but in the positive sense of what's going on uh, at those levels or do you or just concentrate on themselves and and the, and the rugby when you when you're doing um i kind of just give them information that i know that is you know for real <laughs> you know yeah. you know and um you know they ask me questions and i'm always sort of like if i don't know i won't tell them just make it up so yeah. but you know my sole focus is just work on the individual and you know and let the politics stuff sort itself out and i'm just purely focused on trying to work on them and trying to develop their personal skills and everything else to help themselves you know after rugby so when you came out of rugby i see you got a whole bunch of uh, uh coaching roles at uh, different places so did you, you did your coaching badges in your, in your last few years yeah so i did a few coaching badges but um i think the best move for me when i finished up at cornish pirates being a full-time rugby player i was still you know enjoying rugby and still wanted to be part of it so the so i was lucky enough to get a gig playing sort of like level four rugby but with it came a sort of a coaching sort of teaching aspect to it so obviously when you drop down levels they just do two nights a week training and you know game on saturday so i did that for three years trying to sort of sort of buy time and understand what i wanted to do after rugby and and what i want to get into so come to a club it was called china rugby but they got a local prep school down the road that kind of you know kind of worked well for me so i work at school during the day and then train in the evening so that kind of gave me a bit of time to think about what i want to do in terms of life after rugby and and just get my head around you know what you know what am i going to enjoy doing you know that was probably the key and then probably when i did retire i think a lot of my focus went on trying to be a good dad and trying to be, you know, give a bit, a bit more time to my children. I think I had two young, I had two young kids at the at the time, and you know, I think, I think my focus was just on them and trying to be present with them and being around more than often than not. Yeah. So, so. How, how old are your kids now? Uh, nine and six. Oh, so mine are ten and seven. So that makes yeah, yeah. Some, some kind of So when when rugby's on, who do they support? Because is, oh, is, yeah. is it is it Samoa? Is it New Zealand? Is it England? Because uh, I'm guessing they were, they, they, they were they were born yeah. over in the UK, were they? Yeah, both born in Bristol, uh, but they support everyone but England in every sport. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, they really don't understand. It. It's just maybe it's just us as parents have probably, you know, poisoned their minds a bit. But um, yeah, it's a strange one. Like if, even if England play Wales, they go for Wales. England so play Ireland, they go for. <laughs> where, 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 where's your wife from? She's from Hamilton in New Zealand. That's Hamilton. So. Okay, that's, well, that's where I am now in Hamilton here. Yeah, cool. Yeah. The, um... So yeah, that's strange. Yeah, they support everyone but England. But I guess the older they get, they're kind of understanding what a lot about themselves. Of course, their mates would probably they always get a ribbing at school saying, "Oh, why don't you support England?" Or you know, because you're born here. But yeah. I guess yeah, that's yeah, their choice. To... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say I'm not talking. My kids were born in Hong Kong, Singapore. And I'm married yep. to. A, I was married to a Kiwi. So yeah, it's. Um, I, I get this whole moving around the world, um, kind of, uh, kind of piece. Um, so your role with with the uh, Pacific Rugby players is not a full time one because you also work for. You also got a, a, a coaching and, and mentoring uh, company as well that you do. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it's kind of runs like the Pacific Island Rugby players. This is a full time role, but alongside it, I've got a bit of time where I can do a bit of coaching and mentoring so when i was sort of trying to find my way in rugby and like when i retired like i was getting a lot of kids asking for like one-on-one help or you know doing one-on-one coaching with them but you know i didn't want to be that kind of person that's i wanted to say what just spend the money on joining a club or doing things of you know we are interacting with other kids you know you know, you got like eight or nine year olds that are trying to train like professionals, and I just didn't see any sense in <laughs> making them do shuttles for like an hour. You know, they're not going to learn too much about themselves or being good people at the same time. So, you know, I think the area I live in, it's kind of, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the kids to do well in, you know, school and sports. And mm-hmm. I guess they got money and resources to spend on doing other things. So, yeah, so. 
I had a lot of kids that want to do sort of one-on-one coaching, but I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll help, but I'm not going to be like a personal trainer to them, you know. Yep. So so I just said, look, I'll do a bit of mentoring, you know, and I only work with the kids that are kind of having issues away from rugby as well in terms of school, if they're not falling out of the school system um, or having issues with parents or kind of getting along, you know. I think a lot of the area I work in at the moment, they kind of – their dads all work in the city, so they don't have that male figure around, you know, during the week that kind of encourages them to, you know, having that male figure. So, you know, so I kind of worked along that way, trying to help kids in that way. So I do that sort of running alongside doing what I do now with Pacific Rugby players. So, and that's really enjoyable. I really, I take a lot of kind of, you know, you know, it's really enjoyable trying to shape, you know, a kids, you know, you kind of, trying to help them shape their life at a young age in terms of, you know, just teaching them good values. I mean, I don't want to teach them to be, you know, professional rugby players. I want them to be good people first, and then they can find their way later in life, later in life after that. So that's yeah, probably so, my... So yeah, for, 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 for New Zealanders, you're living in Buckinghamshire, which is just north of London. Um, yep. The majority of people there, it's, 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 it's prime commuter belt. Yep. Um, in in in, uh, in in England, so a lot of people from there will commute into London. They'll be spending um, at least an hour and a half uh, each way on their commute. Yeah, exactly. Um, so hence, if you got a nine, if you have to be in the office for nine, which most people have to be in there before, then you're leaving yep. home at seven in the morning. You're not getting yep. home till um, about eight o'clock at night, and yeah, you say time to, time to be around the kids just isn't there because you've spent three hours a day commuting. On yeah, top exactly. Of your, Top of your eight, nine, nine, nine hour day um, yeah. job as well, and yeah, an eight hour sleep, and that's pretty much it. it's gone. Um, <laughs> and pretty stressful, highly kind of you know stressful jobs are working in like finance or something like that. So you know it's just the way it is. So yeah, I, I yeah. used to work in Canary Wharf um, for Morgan Stanley. So um, I've yeah I've done I've done that, um, it's, yeah. um, and hence that's why I'm not anymore. Why well, I'm in Hamilton Way basically. Well, the moment my commute is my one, well, my bed's there, my desk is here but um people's commute here is only half an hour at most yeah um in yeah. Auckland, really if you uh, so most people don't the, the, the concept of commuting in new zealand is just not the same yeah i know concept uh, in, i know i get that uh, in, in i think yeah yeah i think when i pick people up from the airport there's this heathrow just down the road i said oh no it's just out just an hour away and they're like what an hour it's like yeah because like in my head it's like 10 minutes isn't it so um yeah yeah concept of commuting yeah like with the job and the role i have it now i have to get around to see players at clubs or you know as many times as i can during the season so yeah i'm pretty much on the road as well but like a two or three hour drive is nothing you know when you think about it <laughs> but, but i know in new zealand if you drive two or three hours it's it's like a, the most stressful thing well, you can do it just takes a big chunk of your day yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the um, but uh, so so how many uh, how many clubs do you cover as, in your role with the um, Pacific Rugby players? Yeah, so um, obviously the Premiership right down to the National League. So they can we got players playing in National Two, Three, and that's probably Level Four, or Five. So look, the prim- like you said before, the Premiership are well resourced with um, they got each uh, the RPA here provide a player development manager for each for two clubs so one person will look after Bath or Bristol and one will look after maybe Northampton Leicester you know so they're quite well looked after so those boys I'm not too concerned with because they got a lot of you know a lot of resources a lot of help in terms of personal development stuff it's just more the players like you said in the championship where they get no support no kind of you know anything you know I feel really sorry for them and you know yeah, and down the national leagues, like the lower the leagues you go, the you know, the more you find it, the players are probably getting exploited a bit more in terms of, you know, promise to be paid on this day when you know, you know, because there's no real contract, no binding contract, so you know, you kind of have to look after their welfare in that space. But yeah, it's just tricky because you know the championship aren't really well looked after by the, um, the union in terms of that, but. You know, there's something that I'm trying to work with players, trying to provide as much support for them and guidance for them wherever I can. 
So for those people that don't know, the, the Premiership level, there's an agreement between the Premiership, the RFU, and the PFA, or the players, or P PRA, players PRA, PRA, sorry, um, yeah. that there is a standard contract that every yep. player that, that every player has to be um, signed under. That standard contract doesn't apply, or there isn't a standard contract for any, any, any level beneath that. So, yeah, players have got to either understand contracts themselves or be able to afford a lawyer to look at it. Yep, or have a decent agent that probably <laughs> places those players there. But then, you those, know, those three just... things. Well, people. I mean, that's what I. I don't understand my contracts when I've been when, when I when I and I've and I've, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> um, uh, you've got some. Yeah, the the uh, they're not going to be able to afford a lawyer, and as you say, decent decent agents can be few and far between. So a lot of these guys are yeah will have contracts they don't really understand. Yeah, um, and could be. Yep. Uh, and yeah. you say it could be could be exploited, but if that's the only option they've got, that's the only exactly. option on the table. Which which how can you say no? So yeah, exactly. And you know, we're at Pacific Rugby players. We're all about trying to provide. Play, you know, there's a lot of saying that you know we've got to keep our Pacific Island players back in the islands, you know, or keep them in New Zealand. But you know, from our point of view, as long as you give them an opportunity to. You know, provide for their families, make income overseas, and then we're all happy for them as long as they're looked after from us as, at the same time. You know, so you know, we're not going to like hold back a player that wants to go play championship level. They're going to earn X amount of money for themselves and their families back in the islands. You know, uh, but then our roles support everything in between. What goes on from them understanding what to expect when they leave the islands. You know, it's a big change transition from leaving the islands and then moving into like a you know, a small town where everything, all the systems are different, you know, as you know, signing up for schools, just simple things like the right driver's license, you have to pay council tax here, which people really forget not to do. It's like <laughs> uh, just the basics and just trying to make them understand, even just scaling it back to understanding what the um, payslip look like, you know, where their tax is going, understanding that, you know, what they're liable to and understanding it, just everything, you know. Because it's such a massive, you know, change in their life moving from. So we try to upskill them while they're at the islands and prepare them when they get here. It's a bit of a soft landing for them to understand. Oh, yeah, I've, I've expected this and I've got my head around it, and just and just take away any kind of homesickness or anything like that in terms of. And then, you know, just make them focus on rugby and perform on the field really. Yeah, it's, it's looking at your organisation, you've got Gaylene in, uh, in Fiji, uh, Joe Rocococo, which people would obviously know over in France yep. with um, Marion. Um, I'm going to butcher her name, I'm sorry. Um, yep. Salvador? Um, yeah. Uh, so yep. you, you work uh, you, in constant contact with those, with those other people? Yeah, yeah, we work as a small team and we're just trying to touch base most days, really. And just kind of understand where these players are coming. You know, some sort of slip through the net a bit. You know, some are just being contacted. You know, this is how it gets. Some are contacted through like Facebook Messenger, promised a contract, fl flowing over, and then probably not even getting half of that. And then the accommodation's probably sleeping on a mattress on the floor and in a garage or something. So, you know, those are the extreme ways of doing it. But we're just trying to just protect our players as much as we can and just understand. Where they are, you know, I think in France there's, you know, two or three hundred Pacific Island players scattered all over the country, and you know, you know, more and more coming out of the woodwork we, we just don't know and haven't accounted for. So we're just trying to stretch our resources as far as we can in terms of trying to protect those players and and just you know offering them the help and support that and guidance that we can provide for them while they're over here as well. So, so how many players do you? Are you kind of helping in 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 England yourself or in the UK? So UK, um, UK, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, probably this 70, 70 odd, probably eighty, eighty Pacific Island players, Pacific, you know, from Tonga, Fiji, Samoa, so mm -hmm. which so is you, not too bad. So you can keep on top of that. But so you're you having know. to travel over to Ireland and up to Scotland and Wales to. to to see them as well. Yeah, well, we've got people up there that work for you know we've got we've got touch bases there with people with team managers and that. So you do the odd trip up there, but you don't do it regularly. But you know, but I think for the role now and you know being 
the situation we're in at the moment, you can just do everything on um, Skype or Zoom or or FaceTime. But you know, we I know it's important to have that face to face contact as well. But you know, we're just trying to yeah yeah. There's a bit of travel involved, but it's almost just you know just it's hard to buy you know to sell the players this personal development dream when you just you have to be there and facing as well and mm-hmm. try and give them as much face time as well. So. It's really important just to, so they can understand you as well. You know, there's only so much you can do online, but you know, you try to you know help them as much as we can. So, have you have, have you find the players are more receptive to to online now with the with what's been happening over the last month? Yeah, you'd be surprised. Uh, yeah, no, and I think in a way, even though there's no rugby on, as there's pay cuts going on, and but this situation has really helped it. Like my work tenfold you know we've got players reaching out more and more i guess they've really had that time to think about it and understand that man i don't want to be in this situation again and they're starting to think more positively towards you know is this going to be my last contract and then you know and thinking you know i need to start preparing myself for life after rugby so you know if everything good there's a in a bad there's a good thing that comes out and i think our work's probably gone up a lot in the last week or so especially i think we're on our third or fourth week of lockdown i think the novelty is wearing out now in terms of being at home you know exercising at home and i think they're really starting to get bored or not bored but they're starting to think oh no this is what it could be like if i don't have a job or not prepared for life after rugby so more and more boys are getting more active and and engaging which is really good so we're running some online workshops at the moment this week so we had a really good one last night of an ex-player, Salilo Martins, who played for Tonga. He's, he's based down in Wales now. And he just spoke about how he got into sort of the business side of things. And and then today, tonight, we got one of Johnny Liotta from uh, from Manwatu. So he's been really proactive. He was really good with his uh, personal development. He did a degree. He's doing a master's degree now. But he did other bits and pieces like a personal training or so course and he's doing barbering as well. So he's someone really good that, you know, that actually was doing stuff away from rugby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then we got uh, Chris Masoi and Tana Umanga jumping on uh, Wednesday night here in the UK talking about, you know, their transition into coaching. And it's good to have someone like Chris who's just recently retired and someone like Tana that's been in the game for a while now and just talk about some of the – challenges or any tips or just anything so the whole thing is to provide if players jump online if they get one or two things away from it then we've done our job you know something positive or or a light bulb moment for them to start really you know you know seeking more help and and advice on the steps of trying to you know um, prepare for transition in life after rugby because i'll be honest i was Concerned because the we, we've heard stories of players committing suicide in France before because of the yep. pressure, pressure of having to send money home um, whilst having no support network around them um, in or, or having yeah having very minimal support network around them whilst they are away from their communities. Uh, I, I must admit I was wondering how the the Pacific players would be doing because it's that exact scenario. They're having a pay cut, so there's more stress on sending money home. They don't have the support networks of their family there. They're stuck in perhaps flats on their own. Um, exactly. I can see the mental health side being a real a real issue over these uh, at the moment over for for, for 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 the players. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, I think the rugby players are so conditioned. You know, in terms of their schedules are being laid out for them from Monday to Saturday or whenever their game is, and when you take that away and give them all this time. To trying to sort of set their own routine in a day that it becomes pretty they could become unstuck and, and you, like you said those mental health issues will come in and i think it'll be kind of like you said the one or the first two three weeks will be like oh this is awesome we've got all the spare time we will catch up watching netflix or you know watching it and then after a while you can tell that's that probably their minds or bodies will get a bit sloppy if they aren't keeping up with their physical physical conditioning and that just leads on to like you said the mental health side is going to be really prevalent in the next one or two weeks especially like that fourth or fifth week where you're like kind of struggling to motivate yourself <laughs> you know so that's where we're trying to jump in and fill that space for them and 
trying to get their minds active as much as anything, to be honest, and start, you know, just start thinking and putting in some steps to start developing that life after rugby, which is, you know, we don't make football salaries here. We, we can't retire on rugby money. We have to work yep. that X amount of, you know, life before we retire from here. So I think they got to understand that. And I think, you know, like I said, this time's been really good in terms of trying to get that message across to them and making it understand it. And I think we're, they're appreciating it a bit more now, the work we do in terms of trying to <laughs> provide support. I guess they kind of, you know, and I was the same too. We When, when I was playing Premiership for Bristol and we had like these uh, RPA people coming in, you say, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you just say, yeah, because it's just an easier way of getting them off your back and yep. chasing you up. But, um, and, you know, you think now, then, geez, I wish I really kind of used those resources they had at the time, and it, it does come in handy. So, and the big thing now, the boys are starting to understand, is probably the networking side, which is for Pacific Islanders, is a is a tough kind of thing to do. You know, trying to, you know, they don't engage with sponsors and and you know, but you know, you know, doing all those networking events and stuff because you know, just it's just part of our culture that. We're kind of shy, sort of, you know, don't yeah. want to talk about ourselves. But we're just trying to change the narrative and make them understand that, you know, you but, are but unique. Cult, let's, but culturally, let's be honest, the, the Pacific way of, of networking is generally through families, um, yep. through... Um, uh, through communities, through communities, but um, uh, through 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 food and, and, um, yeah, yeah. and eating, whereas a, um, a rugby club or Western or UK style of networking is generally over beer. Um, yep. overbite. It's a very different yeah. style of networking um, yeah, exactly. and communicating. And that's, yeah, it's not that, I, so, so I, I would actually say that Pacific people are, are very good at networking their yeah. way. Because yeah. you, you yeah. guys know exactly, you know what all your cousins are up to, um, or, yeah. you, or your mum does, um, and yeah. <laughs> keeps you up to date. So that, that's, yeah, yeah networking is not the problem. It, it's the, it's the, it's the culture, of, yeah, yeah. The culture of, network, of, of, of the style of it. Um, yeah. And like you said, it's a lot different over here than what they used to back home. And that's just trying to just change their mindset a little bit, you know, in terms of, you know, these, uh, like I think we spoke about last night, you know, you've got to make the most of who's around and who's available, whatever professional club you're at, you know, and each player gets sponsored by some, you know, again, individual sponsor. And it's just how they engage and and just, you know, pretty, pretty much trying to pick their brains of how they you know, started in their work life and, you know, and see if, like I said, like, a lot of these boys got really good transferable skills over to, to the workplace, but it's just trying to give them that confidence that they can do it. And that's probably a, a big thing that we're trying to drive over here is just like, you know, just be confident in your own skin and understand that you're not just a, you know, a dumb, you know, the, you know, the, the rugby player that doesn't know how to talk longer than two minutes to a, you know, to anyone. So, yeah, so we're just driving that at the moment and we're getting some really good um, feedback from the boys, you know, and, it's just, you know, like it is, it just takes one guy to do it and then everyone jumps on board and then it's just, you know, that, that that's how the effect works over here with the boys, you know, just stepping out of their comfort zone and, you know, if they can see one of their mates doing it, then they'll jump on and follow them too. So that's how it kind of works. So what, what feedback are you getting about how the how the clubs are doing i mean i'll, I'll have the clubs provided most of the players with some sort of exercise gear whether it be elastic band whether uh, stretching bands or whether it be actual weights are the clubs running kind of zoom training sessions for their players or, or are the players literally being left to their own devices and told no 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 yep yeah so i think i think the players were told i think they came to training on a monday and told that you know it's going into lockdown on tuesday wednesday so some the clubs put in some really good uh, systems in terms of uh, sending equipment around to players, bikes, everything they needed before it became full lockdown. And then I think giving them the trainers have been giving them training programs to, to, to go through, uh, and then oftenly engaging on Zoom, like you said, as a, as a team. They still have team meetings on Zoom just to just to have that FaceTime, and, you know, just to contact yep. time you know to stay connected with the players you know for their own mental health you know and just for their own sanity and i think some boys sort of in their bubbles train as groups as well so which is good especially the guys that probably don't have families 
so yeah it's been um it's been really positive how the clubs have reacted and i think you know like i said you know hopefully it becomes the, we're not doing it for too long yeah yeah so yeah so the clubs have been pretty well prepared in terms of that side of things but it's just more like how consistent these players can keep up with it because I guess the boredom of doing the same exercises, the same kind of training, you know, every day for the next, you know, how many days is... And we're just trying to avoid also, you know, because they got these t- time on their hands, you know, you could, and it's almost barbecue season here, you know, you, you know. <laughs> you're going to see the sun, you know, the sun's out longer, daylight savings was just two weeks ago and, you know, we're trying to avoid, you know, trying to, uh, is, is, limit their alcohol consumption and carver consumption during this time. Say, is, is KFC delivering still in England? No, I think that's a good thing. I don't think they're delivering. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so you probably see some boys going back in better shape. Than... <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get to KFC for four weeks. Yeah, My word, exactly. I'm, I'm so fit. So what what does the future hold, uh, hold for... Uh, for yourself are you is, is is england now home or uh or, or yeah i don't know to be honest um i've got some parents at home they're keen to see their grandkids and um it's funny here uh, we always thought we're going home next i think we've been going home next year for the last 17 years and it just haven't happened yet so um <laughs> and you know as you know as when the kids get in schools and start making good friends and stuff but um I'm hoping <laughs> this is a big quick, that we get the kids back for high school at least. I like to bring them home and understand their culture a bit more, uh, understand where they're from, meet more of their family. And then I think just from our point of view as New Zealand parents, uh, you know, they're a bit spoiled. They need to toughen up a bit and, you know, we to take them home. <laughs> take them home and, uh, <laughs> yeah, some real tough kids, you know, they can um, sort them out, I guess, you know. So um, I think that's the plan. I think for maybe two or three years, but as long as I'm enjoying my role here with the Pacific Rugby players, then, you know, and uh, and I feel like I'm making some sort of positive moves in terms of what the boys are trying to do on the personal development side, then, you know, I'll be happy to stay on. But, yeah. You know, that's a good question. It's always one that I kind of answer, half answer. So, <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, I, so I, I, I'll speak to you in two years and I'll be still here. And you know, we, we were supposed to be uh, we were supposed to be two years in Singapore before moving on to New Zealand. On our, and uh, nine years later, I got made redundant. It was like, oh, I guess we better move then. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, no. Yeah. I yeah, I understand exactly how that's how, how yeah, yeah two years turns into forever. Um, yeah, very easily. Yeah, cool. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be nice to retire back home in New Zealand. I think that's probably. <laughs> <Retire. not> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this is more like just not losing the culture side and understanding where we're from. And but uh, you hope you've kind of become good enough parents to teach them that as well. So, so we'll get that uh, get that lifestyle block on the Capiti Coast, just north of Wellington. Say so, and the <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can see the water. <laughs> The the too, but, uh, yeah, so that'd be nice. That's all I can imagine when I go back home, seeing the water, the blue water and the uh, the sun, and having longer summers than we do over here. Uh, fishing? <laughs> were you a big fisher over here? Uh, my parents were. My dad was, but I didn't have. No. You know, probably didn't quite take up those fishing skills, <laughs> maybe I... because they just the equipment was a bit. Uh, you know, for the suspect, what they were using uh, <laughs> the old uh, make your fishing line at home, and so I'm um, probably a bit too mo- from the modern world. It will probably, <laughs> but yeah, I remember when I was younger, yeah, family members used to go diving a lot and go fishing a lot, so yeah, part of the upbringing, really. But I yeah, yeah, no, exactly. it's, it's, it's for being being English person, this this. Everyone just seems to go fishing. Like, really? But I, I never. I, I did a bit, yeah. of trout, a bit of trout fishing in the UK, but not but only because that got me uh, meant that I could actually get out of boarding school to go down to the river. Um, the I never caught anything. Uh, but so yeah, but fishing seems to be a very really big thing over here in New Zealand. So uh, when you yeah. said when you said the water, it's like okay, he wants to get out there and uh, catch some snapper. The um... uh, it's just the, <laughs> probably the, 
sea breeze and the uh, you know just seeing something that you know because I'm right in the middle, sort of the I don't know the nearest beach is probably two or three hours away, so it's probably not a beach and it's probably not say. warm and the water's probably freezing cold. So there's one thing that got me over here is like it could be a 25 degree day outside and you jump in the water it's probably minus 10. You know I just didn't understand, especially down Cornwall. Wow, this lovely beach, sandy beach. Why is everyone in their wetsuits and you jump in with your board shorts <laughs> and then you just jump out just as quick because it's so cold? So. Yes, it is. Yeah, very much. Very true. The... <laughs> cool. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for your time uh, and for letting us know what uh, what you're doing up, up to with the, the rugby, the Pacific Rugby Players um, group. And uh, I keep wanting to say association at the end there, but you've dropped that bit. So that's, that's not the... Um, I think they had a rebrand a couple of years ago, I think. So. Yep. So it's all kind of make it a little bit shorter and it's <laughs> <laughs> sort of tongue-twisting to say. Get, a bit, but... get, get modern, get down with the kids. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and so, uh, all the best of luck uh, with with that, uh, looking after all those players. And it is something that's it is very important work that does need to get it does does need to happen and um thank you for doing it thank you everyone thank um you. everyone watching uh don't forget to um like the facebook chat page and or subscribe if you're listening on the podcast uh other interviews that are coming up i've got the ceo of tasman rugby and uh, I'm hopefully going to tie down Aroni Clark as well for an interview. So do um, like and subscribe and let all your friends know about it. And uh, let's grow this uh, channel. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.